Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week kicks off our four-week teaching series, FAQs, where we answer the questions that you gave us. Join us as Eric tackles the first set here in week one. Welcome to week number one of FAQs, and I am so thankful that you guys are here today as we're going to have a lot of fun with this experience. So I've been on vacation for a couple of weeks, and I've got to tell you that you have been missed, and it feels really, really good to be back home here at Valley Point, and I'm excited about being back with you guys. Thank you. So I thought I'd show you some of my vacation pictures. Can I do that? All right, I'm going to do it anyway. So let me tell you about my trip, and I've got some pictures that match along the way. So a few weeks ago, we started our vacation at Lewis Beach in Delaware, and this is our youngest daughter, Cambry, and we like it when our kids eat sand. So that's what she's doing there, but we had a great time at Lewis Beach. It's our first time at a beach in Delaware, and they're absolutely beautiful, and it was very hot while we were there. I actually had to go back to the car to get something while we were at the beach, and so I started to walk across the sand, and I'm from the Midwest, and nobody tells you that you can't do that, so I made it about halfway, and that became a problem for me, so I thought, well, I just run the rest of the way, and I'll make it to the parking lot. And so I got to the parking lot in my bare feet, and that was even hotter. So I ran to my car and stood on the little side rails, and that was even hotter than the blacktop. So uh, nobody told me about that, but we had a great time in Delaware, and it was just fun being with the kids and having some time to rest there. After that, we went to a small little lake in Indiana called Lake Tippecanoe, and this is our youngest son, or not our youngest son, Chandler. He's in the middle and he's jumping off the docks, and that's pretty much what we did there. And Tanya's family from Ohio met us there, and so we got to see her side of the family and just have fun, again, being with the kids. And then after that, we traveled to Illinois to see my parents, and on the day we arrived in Illinois, we encountered this incredible storm that threw a tree onto my parents' house. So that's actually their house. And the ceilings caved in, and drywall came down, and insulation, and it was raining inside the house. So we got to stay in a treehouse for our vacation there. Everybody was okay. Nobody got hurt. But the force of the tree was actually so intense that when the adjusters came out, they said it moved the house off of the foundation a bit. So they've got a mess over there, and the whole time I'm thinking... I need to get out of the state and back to Pennsylvania. So we're back, and it feels really, really good to be here at Valley Point. Again, you were missed, and I'm thankful that we get this time together today. I do want to thank Gus and Lee and Ben for walking through the series In the Zone. And I had a chance to listen to those online at valleypointchurch.com. And if you missed any of those talks... If you've been vacationing and you've been away, then I would encourage you to check that out, listen to them, because they really will help you spiritually stay in the zone. So they did a great job with that. And today, we begin Frequently Asked 
questions. And again, I'm excited about this. You know, Jesus was bombarded with questions throughout his life. And when he was here on earth and when he was serving people and when he was walking around and healing and teaching, people constantly came to him. And they asked him a lot of different questions. They wanted information from him. They wanted to know some things. And so they just fired off questions at Jesus all day long. Questions like this. Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Why don't you guys do this stuff? What's going on here? Or how about this question? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Like, are you the guy? I mean, are you the promised one who's going to deliver us from Roman captivity? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Or is there somebody else who's still coming? Should we still be looking? Or are you the guy? Or how about this? His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to people? I mean, Jesus, why do you share all of these stories when you teach? Why do you do that? And Jesus kind of unpacked that for them. Or how about Matthew chapter 18? Peter, one of the close followers of Jesus, came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Is that good enough? Like if I ask forgiveness seven times, is that enough? And if you jump into Matthew chapter 18, you find that Jesus says, you can't stop at seven times. You've got to keep going. It's a great question. Or how about Matthew chapter 19? Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I mean, what good deed must I do? What do I have to pull off so that I can have you and I can have eternal life and I can be promised a home in heaven? What good deed must I do? Questions. Jesus was bombarded with questions all day long and questions are good. And here's why. It's because they make us think. Like, what is the answer to that going to be? And so really, that's what we want to do throughout this experience in this series. We want to think just a bit. Now, before we get into the different questions that you guys submitted about a month ago, I want to throw out a few disclaimers, just so we're all aware of what's going to happen throughout our time. So here's disclaimer number one. I'm not going to be able to answer every question. I'm not. And there's probably a few different reasons for that. First of all, there were a ton of questions that were submitted, and if I answered all of them, we would never make it out of this series. It just wouldn't happen. Tons of questions, and that's good. I love getting these cards. When you guys started to write down the different questions and they come in, I loved getting those cards and reading over them. I got to tell you, you guys are creative, you are fun, and I think some of you are crazy. You are, and we'll get to a crazy question a little bit later, but I can't answer everything, but here's what I've attempted to do. I've attempted to categorize the different questions that you submitted into themes, 
and into categories. So even if I don't answer your question specifically, I'm hoping that you find an answer with how we've packaged this. Hopefully that's a help. There's another reason why I'm not going to be able to answer everything, and that is because I'm just not that smart. I'm not. There's a lot of stuff here, and I'm not going to blow smoke, all right? We're not going to do that. So that's disclaimer number one. Here's the second disclaimer. My responses are based on Scripture for the most part. And there's a reason why I do that. And that's because I believe Scripture has the ability to answer every question and provide solutions to every issue that we face in life. I want to say that again. I believe that Scripture, the Bible, the stuff that we're going to look at and the stuff that we're going to read has the ability to speak to every issue in life. It is that powerful. And when we read it and when we study and when we dig and when we search, we can find answers. It is very possible. And so my answers are going to be based on Scripture for the most part, except for a few crazy questions here and there. This is why Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, All scripture is inspired by God. All right, you see the word all there? Shake your head a bit. I know you're here. All right, all scripture is inspired by God. It's all breathed out by God. Not some of it, not most of it, not the parts that are really interesting and a lot of fun, but all scripture, every word, every letter, it is all breathed out by God. And all of it, not just some of it, Not just most of it, but all of it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And here's what it does. I want you to hear this because it's incredible. This is the power and the authority of Scripture when we dig in and when we search. Here's what it does. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's what it does. It's amazing when you think about it. And that's why every Sunday we unpack a paragraph or a piece of scripture here at Valley Point because we want to hear what God says. Nobody needs to hear what I have to say. We need to hear from God and that's why we gather and that's why we worship and respond to his greatness because we need his words and then we need to respond to that. We need to actually do that. Now having said that, throughout this series... We're not going to unpack just a single paragraph of Scripture. We're going to be all over the place in the Bible. We're going to be looking at multiple paragraphs, and I think we'll have a lot of fun doing that. So here's a couple of things that I would encourage you to do each week. Now that you know this series has started, and we're going to be looking at frequently asked questions, here's some things that you can do. First of all, be here. I mean, just make it a priority to be at Valley Point Church for the next several weeks because we're going to cover some great stuff. The series starts today, and it ends on the last Sunday in July. So for the rest of this month, we're going to be answering some questions and giving out some great information. So just be sure that you're here. Make it a priority. Secondly, invite someone to fill the chair next to you. See, this is a very friendly series to invite someone who hasn't been to Valley Point yet. And you probably have a few of those people 
in your mind, a, a few of those people in your world that you can invite. This is a great series to do that with. And then you can kind of follow up and ask them what they thought about the different questions. Great conversation starters here. So make the commitment and the choice to bring somebody with you and fill the chair next to your spot there. And then thirdly, take some notes. Can I tell you as a teacher, I love it. I mean, I just love it when I look out and you see people writing things down or typing them into your phone. That's all good. So even if you're faking it, just type or write some stuff down. It'll make me feel better. And you've got a spot in your program right there to take notes. That's all there for you. So I'd encourage you to write a few things down and then you can think about it when you get home a little bit later. And if you don't like one of my responses to a question, then you can just see Gus Sareka. You can actually email him at Gus at Val... No, I'm just kidding. Really. Seriously, though. Last year, I had someone get aggravated with me and upset over me about a pet question. They really did. So here was the question. Somebody asked, will my pet be in heaven? And will I get to see my animal when I get there? And my response was, no. I'm sorry, but your pet will not be in heaven. Because there's a difference between pets and humans, according to scripture. Humans have a soul, and that's what lives on. Pets do not have a soul. And so when they die, that's just kind of it. And there will be animals in heaven. Scripture talks about that. But the pet that you know and that you love today probably won't be there. Well, this person came to me the next week and said, I just want you to know, I apologize to my dog for you because I know you really didn't mean that. So I think they actually had their dog listen to the talk. I'm not sure. But if you have any problems or you don't like what I say, then you just see Gus Sareka and he'll make sure that you're good to go. Here's disclaimer number three. If you don't get something, it just doesn't make sense or it's not clear to you or you want to follow that up with another question or a comment, then I would encourage you to chase that. Keep thinking. Keep seeking, and don't give up on that, even if things still are not clear to you. If it doesn't make sense, the commitment that you need to make at the start of this is that you will keep thinking about some of the stuff, and you will keep seeking answers on your own. So I do want to thank you for helping me learn and for stretching me a bit. One of the things I love about the series is I generally have to do a lot of research and figure out some things that I haven't thought about for a while. So I want to thank you for growing me and for helping me learn some new things. And this helps me know what you're thinking about and some of the concerns that you have. So we're going to have a great time with this series. So are you ready for question number one? Here it is. Did God know? Did he know that one of his angels was going to turn against him and become Satan, or was he surprised by that? So did God know that one of these angels was going to turn against him, and was he surprised? Well, I do believe that God knew one of his created angels would turn against him, and no, he was not surprised. God never get surprised. And that's kind of the underlying theme of this question here. 
and something that you can really celebrate and lift up. God never gets surprised. There's nothing that shocks him. There's nothing that he's not aware of. Nothing surprises God because Scripture describes him as being omniscient. That's a theological word. It's a theological phrase that means God knows everything, things actual and possible, effortlessly and equally well. So God knows about everything. And it doesn't even take an effort for him to know that. And he knows it all equally well. That's the description of God's knowledge. Now, I love this question. And here's why. It's because it forces us to think about God in ways that just kind of blows your mind. Like, I can't get this. I can't understand it. And it's hard to wrap your mind around somebody, God, who knows everything and never gets surprised, and yet certain things don't make sense, like Satan. So this is a great question because it kind of just blows our mind. So we're going to go there. And I want to share a few things with you about how God works and what makes him so unique and amazing. First of all, he never discovers anything. God doesn't discover stuff. So while we were on vacation, we went to Lewis Beach and Rehoboth Beach, and there's beautiful beaches in Delaware. And I thought it was amazing because I discovered them for the very first time. Right? I'd never been there I didn't know about these beaches, and we went, and we had a wonderful time, and I was blown away, and I'm excited about going back because of this new discovery. Other people have discovered it, but I had never discovered these beautiful beaches, and it's going to be fun to go back. That never happens to God. I mean, it just doesn't happen. He never discovers stuff for the first time because, again, he is omniscient. He knows everything equally well. So he never discovers anything. He is never surprised. I mean, think about that. We get surprised all of the time, don't we? And some of those surprises are good, and that's fun, and some of those surprises are very painful, and we don't like it. But God never gets surprised. He never says, wow, I wonder what I should do next. I didn't anticipate that. I didn't know that was going to happen. God never has a wow moment. He never gets surprised. You know, we get surprised. The Phillies are in last place in July. It's kind of a surprise. It's a shocker. No surprises with God, not even about the Phillies. He never says wow, never. He never wonders about anything. He never seeks information or asks questions. I mean, think about that. For the smartest person in the room, whoever you are, and you're probably very smart, no doubt, God will never come to you and say, can you help me figure this out because I'm a little clueless on this. I mean, I do that all the time with people. I I don't know the answer to this. Will you help me figure it out? God never does that. He never asks people for information because he is omniscient. So back to the question. Did God know? I mean, did he really, really know that one of his created angels was going to turn against him? Yes, because he is omniscient. Was he surprised by that? No, he wasn't, because he's omniscient. Now, there are two different paragraphs 
that speak of Satan. And they're kind of the main paragraphs that we turn to in Scripture. One is in Ezekiel chapter 28, and the other is in Isaiah chapter 14. And they give these amazing descriptions of this created angel, this angel that God made. And what we discover about Satan is that he was originally created, and he was gorgeous. I mean, he was beautiful. And he was the highest ranking angel. There was no angel over him. He was in charge of everybody and everything. And he was a beautiful creation. So this is what we find in Ezekiel chapter 28. Let me read this description to you. It's kind of crazy. So here's verse 12. You, speaking of Satan, were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden the garden of God. And now check this out, because this is what he wore, all right? Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue-green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald. This is what he wore. I don't even know what half of those stones are, but that's what he had on his cape or whatever that looked like, I'm not sure. They were all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. So this would indicate that Satan, before his fall, actually had access to the throne room of God. He could get in there. That's how powerful he was. Verse 15, you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created. So this is an amazing creature with all of these jewels. He was bedazzled, wasn't he? I mean, this would make Elvis and his rhinestones look like something on the clearance rack at H&M. I mean, this is a crazy looking thing going on here. He was gorgeous. He was beautiful. So what happened to him? If that's what he was designed to do, and if that's what he was about, and if he had that much authority given to him by God, what happened? When did Satan become Satan? Well, apparently all of this got to him, and he chose to rebel against God. Perhaps the lapis lazuli got to him, and he cracked a little bit, because here's what we find in Isaiah. All right, So Ezekiel 28 describes how beautiful he was, and the different things that he had, and the different things that he did. Here's what we find in Isaiah, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, and here it comes, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. It's his pride that destroyed him. He wanted to ascend the whole throne of God and take that over. And God said, no, that's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, here's what you get, verse 15. Instead, you'll be brought down to the place of the dead down to its lowest depths. See, Satan fell because of pride. He wanted to be God. 
He wanted to throw God off of the throne. He wanted to rule the universe. And God said, it's not going to happen. I created you. I am omniscient. I know everything. And I am the greatest being. Get out. Out. I think underneath all of this, there is another question. And that is, why would God do this? I mean, if he is omniscient, and if he knows everything equally well, why would he create something? Why would he create someone who would cause so much harm? Right? I mean, why would God do this? This makes no sense at all. That's kind of a hard thing to answer. But let me try. Just because God knows what will happen. And this is true for you, it's true for me, it's true for Satan. Just because God knows what will happen doesn't mean that that individual or that angel in this case doesn't have the free choice to make their own choices. They don't have that free will to choose what they want. And in this case, according to Isaiah chapter 14, Satan made the choice to rebel against God. And God said, you're out. And he threw him out of the highest places. So even though God knows everything, he doesn't control the choices that people make. Think about it this way. I know, I mean, I know that my children will behave badly. I mean, that's going to happen. They're going to make those choices. And I think most of us know this, even before we have kids, but that shouldn't keep us from having children, right? Even though we know that they're going to sin and they're going to fail and they're going to break our hearts on occasions, that doesn't keep us from having children. See, the risk in relationships is that people will walk away and that people will rebel. And that's a risk that God was willing to take and he didn't want to control the choices that people, even angels, could make. I think underneath all of this is the fact that God does stuff of which we know nothing. And it just can't be explained. You can't figure it out. It just blows your mind. I think the greatest takeaway from this question is the fact that God's in charge. I mean, think about it. Satan was an amazing creature who was beautiful and had a lot of authority and, have a, and had a lot of power. But who did he answer to? He answered to God. And still to this day, Satan answers to God. There is nobody who's greater than him. So the wonderful takeaway from this question is the fact that God is in charge and he is in control and he is omniscient. And even though we get surprised and shocked and we get stressed out, and we freak out over different things, that does not happen to God, and we can run to him and find some encouragement and hope in a God who is omniscient. He knows all things equally well. He's incredible. Make sense? All right, here's question number two. What does the Bible and our church have to say about hell and the devil? Do they exist? And the answer is yes. They both exist. Satan is a real person. We've just talked about him. 
and hell is a real place. How do we know this? Well, let's think about Satan for just a few moments since we've been talking about him. Let's continue the process. He is a real person. Here's what's unique about Satan. There are seven Old Testament books that teach about his reality. I mean, they speak of him, and they say what he's like and what he does. Genesis, 1 Chronicles, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, which we just read, and the book of Zechariah. So these seven different books talk about him and describe him as real. He's a real thing, a real person. Every book in the New Testament, I hear this because it's kind of amazing, Every book in the New Testament and every writer in the New Testament affirmed his reality. They talked about him, they warned about him, they described his activity, and they shared these things in detail so that we would understand and that we would know that Satan is a real person. Now think about this for a second. It would be very, very easy for the writers of Scripture to say, if Satan weren't real, hey, he's not real. Don't stress about him. Don't worry about this guy. It's no big deal. They could easily say that. But they didn't say that. They affirmed his reality and actually shared the opposite about how he is not cute and cuddly. He is out to destroy us. I want you to think about a few different things here. If Satan were merely a personification that people have devised to express their ideas of evil, then you wouldn't hold that thing responsible for its actions because it's just a thing. It's not real. But Satan is held responsible for his actions. We actually find these words from Christ in Matthew chapter 25. Here's what he says. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. So see, here's Christ and he's talking and he's sharing that the devil is responsible for his actions and this is the place that he will be. And if you deny the reality of Satan, then you're denying the reality of the words of Christ and things just begin to fall apart there. It's not really a good idea. And again, he's not this cute, cuddly little being that we laugh at. He has a very specific mission. We find this in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, stay alert. This is a letter to the church. So you could say, stay alert. Valley Point, perk up a bit. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So here's the deal with Satan. He's real, and he wants to eat you. I mean, like a snack. He just wants to devour you, and he's roaming around. This is the picture we get of his current activity in our day, that he's roaming around the earth, and he is looking for people to eat and destroy and devour, and he would like nothing more. Hear this. He would like nothing more than to absolutely destroy your life. And he's got a lot of tools at his hands. 
in a lot of different ways that he can do that, he would love, absolutely love to destroy you, to destroy your relationships, to destroy your friendship with God and cause you to land in a ditch somewhere. That's his goal. That's what he wants for you. He's real and he's very dangerous. Not only does he want to destroy you, but he wants to destroy the church because the church is what God has left to share his message of hope with the world. And if he can destroy the church, if he can eat us, if he can take down Valley Point and we're no longer a bright light in this community and around the world, then he has accomplished something that he wants and that is destruction of people who care about God. So it's not a joking matter. He's not a cute, cuddly little thing that doesn't bother people. He wants to eat you and he wants to destroy this church and keep us from doing what God wants. Satan, he's very real. No denying his reality. What about hell? Yes, it's a real place. Look, some smart people have recently written a lot of books on this and they're trying to say, maybe it's not real, maybe it is, I don't know, maybe it's a a picture of suffering or something like that. Here's the reality. Hell is a real place. Jesus himself indicates that punishment in hell is just as everlasting as life in heaven. And we find those exact words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. The same paragraph where he says Satan will be held accountable for his actions and thrown into the lake of fire. It's a real place. And the suffering there is just as real and as long and as painful as what the joys of living in heaven will be like. It's a real place. It's not a good place. The wonderful news is that we have a choice. God has given us this free will to choose him and to trust in him alone and embrace his leadership and his forgiveness and escape this terrible place. And when we trust in Jesus alone and add nothing else to that, we are assured of a home in heaven, a wonderful place, and we get to escape the realities of hell. Satan, he's real. Hell, it's a real place. It's a real place. All right, here's question number three. What is the best approach to reading scripture? I said, we have this Bible. We have this letter from God that he's given to us and we're supposed to be in it. So what is the best approach? Well, I have found that the best approach is generally reading from left to right. I'm just kidding. All right, we've talked about heaven and Satan and hell, so everybody take a deep breath, okay? Let's talk about something a little bit lighter, like the best approach to reading Scripture. Here's the reality. You just have to start. You've got to jump in, and you've got to go for it. There's no magic formula for this. You have to begin, and I think you have to schedule it, because what gets scheduled gets accomplished. And I think we're really, really good at scheduling a lot of different things in life, myself included. But sometimes, not scheduling time to be with God and to hear from Him. So there's no real mystery here. The best approach is you just have to start and you've got to schedule this thing. And I know that sounds generic and that sounds super basic, but that's the truth. 
I think we all struggle with this. It's a challenge to say, all right, I'm going to open this up, and I'm going to figure out what God wants me to do. It's kind of a hard thing. So what I want to do is I want to share three practical suggestions on how you can make this kind of a priority in your life and schedule it. So here's suggestion number one. Read one proverb a day. And if you've never started anything, just read one proverb a day. Now, there's 31 proverbs, so you can line up the day with the chapter. Today is July 8th, so you could read Proverbs chapter. Not a mystery question here. Not a trick question. Today's July the 8th, so you could read Proverbs chapter Yeah, at some point today, just read it and write some things down. Circle in your Bible or read it on your phone. However you'd like to do that, just start. Just jump in. That's kind of the key. So read one proverb a day. Here's suggestion number two. That is uversion.com. Now, this is an amazing tool. And you can jump online, and what you'll find at uversion.com is there are all kinds of different reading plans there. I mean, there's hundreds, if not thousands, and you can look at a specific topic. If you're really stressed out, then you can look under stress, and they'll have a whole reading plan for you, and you can sign up for that, and they'll even send you reminders. Like, I've signed up for stuff before to read, and I haven't done it, and they hit you within a week saying, hey, look out, you're behind on your reading I don't like those emails, it's kind of annoying, but it's good because they hold you accountable and they want you to read. So go to uversion.com and you can find out all kinds of stuff there. Just play around on that website because it will help you just jump in and just start. That's the challenge here. Just get in. You got to start some way. Here's suggestion number three, and that is use a good readable version. All kinds of different Bible versions out there. I use the New Living Translation or the NLT. It is very reliable. It's extremely readable. And I love it because when you begin to walk through the different stories and the events that happen in Scripture, I mean, they just pop to life. And I enjoy that. So get a good, readable version and just start the process. Don't delay it anymore. No excuses. For anybody that's here, you've got to jump in and you've got to go for it. That's the best approach to getting involved in Scripture. Now, can I just speak to you from my heart on this? Because I have a growing passion for this particular area. My expectation is that there will be a growing number of Valley Point attenders who will increase their relational closeness with Christ by reading his words to us and doing that in between Sunday gatherings. That's my expectation, that there will just be a growing number of people who will say on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the rest of the week that I have to spend time in God's word. And here's why I say that. Because time in God's word, hands down, wins the day when it comes to deepening your friendship with God. I mean, there's a lot of other things that you can do. And there's a lot of other things that we should be doing as followers of Christ to increase that relational closeness and get deeper in our friendship with God. But hands down, reading his letter to us wins the day. 
and I've said it before, if you go from Sunday to Sunday and never jump into God's word, that is not enough for you. You will starve spiritually. See, here's the thing. This is God's letter to us. I mean, it's his love letter to us. And in this book, he has given us everything that he wants us to know. And again, that's why we open it up. That's why we unpack a paragraph. That's why we talk about practical ways that you can get involved in this because it is the number one way to deepen your friendship with God. Nothing, nothing beats this. So if you're bored in your friendship with God, if you're trying to find a way to deepen that relationship, then jump into his word and do that in increasing increments and you will grow. It will happen because these are the words of Christ. So does that make sense? Are you good with that? This is a challenge for all of us. We all have to get better at this. Increasing our relational closeness with Christ. We've got to spend time in his word. There is no secret. You just have to start. You've got to start. All right, let's lighten it up a little bit with question number four. This is one of the crazy ones. What's with musicians and plaid? I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of musicians tend to wear plaid a lot, and they think they're cool and they're hip. And a lot of us want to be like musicians, don't we? Like we aspire to be a rock star as we age, and so we want to look like them and we want to dress like them. So what's the deal with musicians and plaid? Well, I've been trying to figure this out for a while, and I think I have a few thoughts on this. If you'd like to be a rock star, and you want to begin the process of changing your wardrobe and wearing a lot of plaid, then you have to begin shopping at the right stores. So we have the right stores for you. Plaids are us, if you want to have fun with it. But if you're looking for a way to get plaid at a bargain, but still want it to be kind of in that quality world, then Plaid Mart might work for you. It's a real store. But if you really want to impress a lot of people and you want to put on the plaid and you want to spend some money, then Plaid's Fifth Avenue in New York, that's the store that you need to go to. So be sure to check that out. Actually, I have no idea why musicians wear plaid. You'd have to talk to them. Just know, if you ask the question, they're going to talk to you for about an hour, and they'll have no idea why they wear it either. So there you go. That's the deal with musicians and plaid. That's my best answer. All right, question number five. How long do elders serve at Valley Point, and is it a paid position? (laughs) Apparently a funny question. Who knew? All right, how long do elders serve and is it a paid position? Must be an elder's wife. It has to be. <laughs> so quick description of how Valley Point works. We're pastor-led in terms of direction and vision. We're staff-directed in terms of implementation. And then we're elder-protected in terms of unity and direction. So I'm the lead pastor It is my job and my responsibility to figure out what does God want for this faith community? Where does he want us to go? What does God want us to accomplish? What does he want us to do in this community and around the world? That's kind of my job. And then the staff implements that. And they begin the process of carrying that out. And we have a great staff here at Valley Point. And I love our staff. They do a wonderful job 
of implementing. And then we have elders who kind of protect the unity and the direction of the church. So elders are elected by the members of Valley Point, and they serve a seven-year term. So this is kind of new for us. We just changed this about a month ago so that we could have a growing number of elders who are involved in the process. So we've kind of put term limits on them at seven years. So they come in and they serve three years, then they have a one-year sabbatical, and then they serve three more years for a seven-year term. Elders do not get paid. They are unpaid servants, and we're very thankful for that. They hold me accountable. They pray for Valley Point. They give. They are generous. Let me just tell you, I love the elders at Valley Point. They are absolutely amazing individuals. And there is some authority that comes with that. There is some leadership that they're responsible for. But I can honestly tell you that our elders are the greatest servants here at Valley Point. And they love you. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Greatest servants. And they love you. And I know that because I hear them talk about you and share about you and how they're interacting with your lives and encouraging you and serving you. And they love this church. I mean, they are committed to Valley Point and where we're going. And I really consider it a great honor and a wonderful privilege to serve with our elders. I have learned so much from them. Most of them are older than what I am, and so they're down the road a little bit in terms of life experience, and I've learned from them, and it's just a great, great thing. And so that's kind of the deal with our elders. They're wonderful gentlemen, and they love you. They love this church, and they are unpaid servants. So you've done a great job today. You really have. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you've done an amazing job. Go for it. So next week, we continue with some more frequently asked questions that you guys submitted. And one of the questions that we're going to look at, and I'll tell you about this because I want you to come back and hear the response because it's really an amazing thing. A couple of different people asked a question like this. What about people who have never really heard about God? You know, maybe they live in some remote places of the world, and they just have never heard the truth about Christ, and that he died for them, and that they can trust in him alone. What about those people? What happens when they die? Are they without Christ, and does God kind of excuse them? I mean, what's the deal with people who have never heard about Christ? And how does God respond to that? We're going to talk about that next week and several other questions, so I hope that you'll be back. I hope that you'll invite someone and keep thinking, keep seeking. Know that Scripture has answers to the questions that we have on everything but musicians and plat. All right? It's there. So keep seeking, keep thinking. And again, I'm so glad that you're here today, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Father, I just want to come to you, and I want to say that you are just an amazing God. I think one of our takeaways today is that you're not surprised, and you're over everything 
even over Satan, an individual who's very powerful and wants to destroy us. I mean, God, just this whole experience right here, he hates this. He hates this. And he would love to just ruin this and take it down. And so we want to just ask, God, that you, being the wonderful God who is over everything, that you would protect us from the evil one who desires and prowls around looking for people to devour. You're an amazing God, and so we lift you up. And as we just continue to respond to you and your greatness now, as we worship you and give some thoughts and some words to you, God, I pray that you would speak to us, challenge us. God, help us to leave here ready to be in your word and people who seek and search and take our questions to you. God, help us to work hard and to dig and to really get after finding solutions in your love letter to us. Thank you for Valley Point Church and for what you're doing here, God. It's so good to be back. I love this place. I'm humbled, thankful for the opportunity to serve right here with the wonderful people that are gathered. And I just pray that you give us a great week. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to stay focused. Help us to be obedient. Help us to look to you. God, bless us and use us to be a bright light right here where you've planted us, where we live, where we work, where we play, where we vacation. God, use us to be bright lights. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.